Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. In verses 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, I pray that you would be with us that my words would be your words, that you would use me, your humble servant, to bring glory to yourself for the good of your people, and that we may see you and understand you better, that we may be further conformed into the image of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Throughout all the ups and downs of this past year, all the events that have happened, I I found myself going continually back to this chapter, Isaiah chapter 40, over and over again. But there's another verse that has come to my mind. It has kind of the same themes. In the book of Esther, there is... This, this key passage which reveals the main point of the whole book. And as we read it, it, it directs our attention to gaze in wonder and awe at the mystery and the wisdom of divine providence as it unfolds in the scenes and the circumstances of that time in the history of God's people. And that passage is Esther chapter 4, 13 to 14. And as Esther is in this situation. Um, She uh, sends a message to um, Mordecai, and Mordecai sends a message back to Esther, and he says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows? Whether you have not come to the kingdom 
for such a time as this. Throughout the whole book of Esther, the providence of God is clearly put on display as we see God's people, and in particular, the main characters of Esther and Mordecai be put through a series of harrowing events as their future and welfare and that of the nation of Israel hangs in the balance. And it's throughout those events that we're continually reminded of the last sentence of that passage. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Throughout that book, that sentence, and specifically that phrase, for such a time as this, continually points us back to the sovereign hand of God as we see him directing the events, the scenes, and the characters through every circumstance with precise timing for his glory and the good of his people. However, it is not only there in the book of Esther that we see the mystery of divine providence unfold before our eyes, and it is not only in the life and circumstances of Esther that we see the phrase, for such a time as this ring true. But we can see the providence of God clearly put on display in other books, such as the book of Ruth. And so much so that I'm sure that as Ruth is, had been brought through all those situations, all those circumstances, that she could say that she was brought into the nation of Israel for such a time as this. We also see the providence of God in the life of Moses. From his birth to his upbringing in Pharaoh's house, from his escape from Egypt to his life as a shepherd for 40 years, and from his call to ministry at the burning bush to everything that would happen afterwards. And I'm confident that he could look back at every event and say that he was brought here for such a time as this. Sometimes it is crystal clear, and other times we have to look a little closer for it. But we can see the providence of God in the lives of every one of his people throughout the pages of Scripture. And we see it here in the book of Isaiah as God sends that prophet to his people throughout the span of 60 years during the reign of four successive kings in Judah as the Assyrian Empire is is gaining in power. It's in its height of dominance. It poses a looming threat to every kingdom and nation in the Middle East. And in that context, Isaiah is sent to warn God's people of his coming judgment and call them to repentance for breaking his covenant, engaging in, in all manner of idolatry and wickedness, for seeking refuge and security through alliances with the nations, whose false gods they have turned to for, to, to worship instead of Yahweh, the living God. And as we look at the, the whole book of Isaiah throughout the first 39 chapters, the, the, whole, the book is essentially spit, split in two, um, two scenes, two halves. And throughout the first 39 chapters, we see warnings of judgment on Israel and Judah and every nation surround them. We also see calls of God for God's people to repent and trust in him. And throughout those calls of repentance, we see um, promises of God's faithfulness, of future redemption, and the coming of the Messiah. But then as we turn to chapter 40, there is, there is a shift. 
There was a shift in the message from one which was primarily of judgment and judgment to everyone. Everybody's getting some. To one which is primarily a message of redemption. And as we look at this passage at the end of chapter 40, keep in mind that the hearers of Isaiah's message, they're, they're in a really bad situation. Either they are under Babylonian captivity, as most scholars believe, which is probably where they are as, as Isaiah is thought to be speaking in the future to them, or, or he's speaking to the people um, just before their exile and captivity, as they had lived through um, the destruction of many of the cities of Israel at the hands of the Assyrians who ransacked the cities and, and took away survivors as slaves as, as Jerusalem was at one time surrounded by all the Assyrian army and the angel of the Lord came out and delivered them by killing 185,000 of them. But whatever the case may be, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, to his people who are under his judgment. And as he confronts their unbelief and calls them to trust him, to place their hope in him, and to wait upon his deliverance, we, call him, we, we see him call them to, to, to just trust that he has a plan to hope in him. And in this specific passage right here, we see three reasons to trust and hope in God. Whatever, circumstance, whatever our circumstances may be, we trust and hope in God, knowing that God has ordained our circumstances for such a time as this. And so first, we trust in God because of his faithfulness. Verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. And, and here's the, this, this, the key that kind of unlocks this passage it is the juxtaposition of Jacob and Israel. He, he, and, and we see this throughout in, in different parts throughout the book of Isaiah, where we see God calling his people, not Israel, but Jacob. And sometimes it's very close, Jacob or Israel. And so which one it is, is it? Because we know our Bibles, we remember the, the story of, of Jacob. And we remember how he wrestled with God and he met with, met with God. And, and God changed his name to Israel because it is one who strives with God. So why is he calling him Jacob here? Why, why is he calling the people Jacob? Instead of Israel. And, and, there, and throughout scripture, there, there is, there is an, uh, an importance to the names that God gives his people. And, and especially when he changes their names. Abram to Abraham. Jacob to Israel. Uh, Simon to Peter. Paul, uh, Saul to Paul. We remember... And there are certain times after Jesus had, had renamed Simon Peter. He said, you, your name shall be Peter. And there's a couple times when Jesus was rebuking him. And he said, Simon, Simon. And this is what's happening here. That he is calling Israel Jacob. And it's kind of poetic. But it seems as if he's reminding them of who they were. 
and reminding them of, of Jacob's character, always scheming, always conniving, always trying to um, work out the circumstances in his favor, not trusting in God, not hoping in God, not remembering the covenant that God had made with, with Abraham and Isaac and the blessings that he received. And, and so it's kind of a rebuke. But it's also a reminder of, of God's covenant. He's reminding, don't, don't you remember? Don't you remember, Israel? Don't you remember my promises to your forefathers that I am faithful and I, I keep my covenants? And so God is faithful. We trust in God because he is, his faithfulness and his faithfulness to his people, his covenants with Abraham and Moses. But we also see this Jacob and Israel saying, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right disregarded by my God. And it's interesting, the, the verbs here are, are, are kind of in, in a continuous action. It, it could be translated, why is, why is Jacob always saying? Why, why does Israel always speak? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right dis, disregarded by my God. It's almost as if they're saying, Lord, you've forgotten us. You've abandoned us. You don't care for us anymore. But that is certainly not the case. He had not forgotten them. Though they were in exile, though they were under his judgment, though they were under his discipline, he had not forgotten them. In fact, God was showing his faithfulness not only to his people, but to himself. If we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 10, we, we see this is kind of a reminder as Moses is speaking to the people, kind of a reminder of God's covenant with his people. And he says, For you are a, whole, a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people, that the Lord has set his love upon you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. God is faithful to his people, but he's also faithful to himself. He's faithful to his character. He cannot lie nor deny himself. He's faithful to his covenants. And I want to show you this, how he is showing his faithfulness to his covenants with Israel. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. 28 verses 32 and 34. He, he, in, in this section of Deuteronomy um, chapter 27 and 28, there's these, these lists of covenant blessings to those who would obey the covenant and be faithful to the covenant. And then there's this list of covenant curses to those who would be disobedient to the covenant. 
verses 32 to 34. He says, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see. Verse 41, you shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours for they shall go into captivity. Verses 49 to 52. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. A hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. Chapter 29, verses 24 to 28. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then, the people, then people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22, a promise that God gave to them in his law. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And this is exactly what had happened to the people. God is faithful to his people, but he's also faithful to himself. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his covenants. And because of his faithfulness, we trust in him. Even when his faithfulness does not go in our favor. Because he is exactly who he declares himself to be. So we trust in God because of his faithfulness. Second, we trust in God because of his nature. Verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 40. Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Have you not known? Have you not heard? He's talking to, Jay, to, to Israel. They have, they have heard. They have known. Because he sent them the prophets. He sent them Moses. He, they, they had the word. They knew. They heard. They have no excuse. This is rhetorical language pointing them back to the prophets, back to the law, back to the covenants. That the Lord is the everlasting God. He is eternal. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. That, that phrase, the ends of the earth, is used in different parts of prophecy in the bible and it's just the whole totality of the of the earth the totality every molecule every creature every uh particle of dust he has created it every part of the universe as rc sproul has said there is not one maverick molecule in the universe god controls it all he controls every piece of matter every second of time 
It is his. He has created it. And he directs it according to his will. And Israel ought to know this. They, more than anybody else, ought to have known this. They ought to have rem- remembered this. God is omnipotent. He does not faint or grow weary. And, and here we see this, this word pair, faint or grow weary. And throughout the, the next following verses, um, we, see it used of, we see it used of God here, that God does not faint or grow weary. His power is un, it does not diminish. It does not fail. Yet, as he talks about, even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhaust, exhausted. He's, he's not talking about um, children there, though it could be applied to children. But he, he, he's talking about young men, people, uh, men in the height of their um, physical strength, their, their, their vitality, in the height of their, um, their life, their ability. He, he, he's he's kind of, in, in a sense, talking about the, the, the soldiers of the nations, the armies. Um, it, it, my military background being um, deployed, I, we, we would um, go and we would look in towns and villages and we would look around and we would look at what we called military-age males. People from, and it could be as young as 15 to as old as 45 or 50, but Whatever the case may be, it was, it was a man that was um, able, capable, uh, had vitality, strength, endurance, someone that was fit, someone that could fight. And God is saying, e- even they shall faint and be weary, but those who wait on the Lord shall run and not be weary, shall walk and not faint. So we see that, that pairing, that, that God, he, he does not faint or grow weary. And though the strongest of men may faint and grow weary, those who trust in him will not faint or grow weary. We also see that his understanding is unsearchable, incomprehensible. As, as we get to the end as we, uh, of those those blessings and cursings in uh, Deuteronomy uh, 27, 28, and 29. Um, we come to this verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God's ways are higher than our ways. His understanding is unsearchable. His mind, he is incomprehensible. He, he is beyond um, our ability to grasp. And we, we will spend all of eternity trying to understand and learn more and more about God. But we, we aren't called to focus on the mystery of God. The things that, and, and, and speculate about what may or could be or or what, what God thinks about certain things. We're, we're called to focus on the things that are revealed in his word. That we know for sure. That we can be sure about him. And this is what Israel was called to do. This is what we are called to do. This is what the people of God are called to do throughout every age and every time. 
to focus on his revealed will and leave his secret will up to him. There's a reason why they call his secret will a secret. Because it is a secret. It's not for us to know. We see it unfold in providence as we can look back on it and say, I I never thought I would be here. I never thought I would have this job. I never thought I'd be married to this person. I never thought I would have X amount of kids. I never thought that this trial would come. I never thought that this blessing would pour out upon me. We don't know his secret will until we look back. But we focus on his revealed will. John Owen said, The holiness of our actions consisteth in a conformity unto his precepts and not unto his purposes. So we we can trust in God because of his faithfulness to his people, to himself. We trust in God because of his nature, because God is indeed God. And third, we trust in God because of his character. Verses 29 to 31. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As, as Jesus said, God brings rain on the just and the unjust alike. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's not just that he is omnipotent and all-knowing and, and, and eternal, but his character. God is good. I mean, it, it would be one thing to, um, to worship an all-powerful, all-knowing um, eternal God. That, 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 that's one thing, and we should. But it's a whole nother thing to wor- worship an all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God who is good, and he is gracious, and he is merciful, and he is abounding in steadfast love. And he shows his, his love towards his people in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is a deliverer and a redeemer. He redeems his people. He protects his people. He judges his people and he disciplines his people for sure. But he has a plan for his people. And at the end of this chapter, we see this this phrase, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. And that, that picture of, of mounting up with wings like eagles, on one hand, it's, it's kind of interesting and inspiring. You think of an eagle. But it, it, I don't believe that's why that, that phrase is there. We see this phrase back in Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6, when right after the Exodus, and... Uh, Moses um, 
goes, goes up to God. He went up to God and the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people. That phrase, wings like eagles, points back to their deliverance. As they are in the midst of exile and captivity and slavery in Babylon, God is calling them to look back. In the, in the names Jacob and Israel, he's calling them to look back to his covenant with Abraham, his covenant with Moses, um, his words to Jacob. And, and he's calling them to look back to their miraculous deliverance. And, and this, is, this is a theme throughout the whole Old Testament and even in the New Testament, to look back to the deliverance of God, the redemption of God. When, when, when God had called his people out of slavery, had, had made them a nation. 400 years of slavery, hard slavery in Egypt while they multiplied. And it was all according to the purposes and plans of Almighty God. And, and he, as they are now once again in captivity, in slavery, he's calling them back to look back. Remember, remember what I did. In this passage, it ends with a call to wait on the Lord, which is strengthened by a reminder of his miraculous deliverance in the past. However, Isaiah begins this chapter with a call of future deliverance as he points them to the future. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You all know, you should know your Bibles, what happened the next time Israel would hear that. In Luke chapter 3, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene. All those, that whole verse, those are specific names, specific times, um, specific dates in history. That is accurate history um, detailing an event that actually happened that can be traced not, not only from the Bible, but from archaeology, from ancient history, from all sorts of sources. This is an event that happened as sure as anything else. And during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. In Isaiah's time, as he's speaking in chapter 40 to the people in captivity, they are longing for deliverance. They are longing for uh, redemption. They're asking that God would rescue them. They're wondering, why has God left them there? And Isaiah is reminding them of their past redemption, but he's also pointing forward to a future redemption. And oftentimes in prophecy, especially in the Old Testament, there's, there's things that aren't as clear until they happen. And, and, and what happened with the Jews during Jesus' time, the reason why many Jews... Um, did not believe him is because they were looking at the prophecies of Jesus' second coming when he comes to destroy all enemies, to do away with, with uh, sin, to reign in righteousness, to rule the nations with a rod of iron. They were looking for that Messiah. They were looking, him to, looking for him to come and crush the Romans and everybody else. But he came for a different type of deliverance a different type of salvation, a salvation from sin, a salvation that is, is much more important than, than just saving us from our physical afflictions or our political enemies, much more important than, than uh, having your best life now. He came to secure for us eternal life. He came to deliver us from the, from the effects of our own sinful nature. He came to call all people to himself, all who would repent from their sins and turn from their sins and receive him by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, to seek him while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. As Isaiah said in chapter 55, to let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and return to the Lord while he may be found so that he may pardon him. And, and there, is, there is a pardon. There is a pardon for all peoples. If you are here this morning and you are not in Christ or you're, you're unsure of whether or not you're in Christ, there is a pardon for you. There isn't a free offer of salvation for you. If you would repent, turn from your sins, and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as a sufficient sacrifice for your sins, you will have eternal life. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Every single one of us deserves to perish because we have sinned against an almighty God. We have sinned against our creator in our thoughts, our words, our actions. We have coveted things that are not ours. We have lied. We have cheated. We have stolen. We have lusted. And worst of all, we have not worshipped the God of the universe, the God who created us, but we have made idols 
within our own minds the things that we value more than God. One preacher said, In the beginning, God created man in his own image and likeness. And ever since then, man has been trying to return the favor. And oftentimes, we want God on our own terms. We, we, we fashion a God in our own mind, but our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is God, and he tells us who he is like. And he calls us to repent, to believe upon him, and trust in him. But for those of us that you are confident that you are in Christ and you have trusted in him and you have eternal life and you are secure in him and you look forward to that day, we still live in sin-cursed bodies in a sin-cursed world. We still struggle with trials, with challenges. And this past year is, I'm sure, full of trials and challenges, things that we would have never thought we would be dealing with. Yet God has placed us here for such a time as this. His providence has moved us here. So how do we prosper in the midst of a painful providence? We prosper first by knowing God. This is what the Israelites should have done. They, they, should, have, they should have known better. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Despite our circumstances, we can prosper knowing God and knowing our God, who he is and meditating upon him. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Maybe not a physical prospering, but a spiritual prospering. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God. We prosper by knowing God. The Apostle Paul said he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Second, we prosper by trusting God. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In Isaiah in chapter 26, 3-4, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Jeremiah, blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for it, its leaves remain Green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We prosper by knowing God. We prosper by trusting God. And third, we prosper by obeying God. Back to Exodus 19, 4-5. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my co covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. 
Deuteronomy 12, 28, be careful to obey, to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. Then when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And finally, Jesus, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus promises joy. We can have joy in the midst of suffering. We can have joy in the midst of trials and challenges if we simply trust God. We, we remember who he is, and we obey him. We keep his commandments. God is faithful, and we can trust in him because he is faithful. We can trust in him because he is indeed God. He is the ruler of all creation. He owns everything. And he ordains everything to come to pass according to his will. We trust him because of his character. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.